Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our Moxie on. Hey girl, how's it going today? It's going, it's going. Are you it's excited been... about this topic? I'm, I'm really nervous about this topic. I'm excited I... and nervous, but I think the more we normalize these conversations, the better it is for everybody. Is that, is that how you're feeling? Yeah, it, it is because I, I, I know a lot of people that, that have this, um, I, I guess I, I don't even know how to, how to express it. Maybe disposition is the best way that I describe it. And I'm sure that we're going to, you know, hear some more. Well, you know, some that, of our most be... popular episodes have been about mental health and mental wellness. Right, right. As right. well as mental illness. So today we're going to go a little deeper and hear yeah. a story about mental illness involving bipolar disorder. And I know a lot of us hear that. Don't you feel like we hear it tossed around a lot, Christina, that term? I, I think so. Well, and okay, so let's just be real, right? In our culture, we always like to say, oh, you're you're acting bipolar or you're acting crazy manic. or you're acting, yeah, manic or whatever. And the reality is, is that that's not the truth, right? So I, I really want to dive in and find out like, what what are the signs? You know, what does it look like? You know, what is the language that is acceptable? You know, because every time we have somebody on that I feel like it's a sensitive subject, that we get so educated and we get to mm -hmm. educate our community. And I think that's pretty cool. So I, I agree. I'm excited. I'm excited about that. We really want to handle this topic delicately. Mm -hmm. We want to always Absolutely. help and not harm. But we think mm -hmm. having the conversations is part of the solution because you can't solve a problem you don't know about. And a lot of people really just don't understand these illnesses. They don't understand the system. They don't understand... Right treatment. And so we ran into a lady recently through our clubhouse and her name's Temple Leffingwell. So Temple, first off, welcome to the show. I feel like you're one of our new just midlife sisters. We immediately oh. connected with you. Yeah, she she gets yes, it just like you. just like all of us. So it's it's kind of <laughs> cool. I, I like that she gives it back too. <laughs> but we quickly <laughs> learned that Temple had an interesting story. Yes. And she's writing a book and the name of the book is I Married Written Bipolar. It. Done. 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 The book's finished. Done. Way to go. I Married yes. Bipolar. And just that name makes me pause because there's so much wrapped into that. So welcome to the show, Temple. Well, thank you so much. I, I actually think we are kindred spirits because the second I found Gail on Clubhouse, you know, it's not video, it's audio. So all I had to do was hear her voice and I was like, oh, there we're, you know. That voice already... doesn't usually get me anywhere. So Temple, you're, you're making my day here. So. Yeah. Oh no, it got me right, right to my heart, Gail. I was like, this is a girl oh. I have to know. Well, we love your attitude and your tenacity. And your strength, because your story, you. and 
I, I, first off, I want people to know your story is not as infrequent as we might assume. So let's just start by letting you tell your story. How did we get to where we are? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you the, the highlights, but the short version is that my book is out and it's called Whoops, I Married Bipolar. Some people were offended by the whoops part. Actually, it was originally titled Whoops, I Married a Bipolar. And then people got really offended by me calling my husband a bipolar. So I'm learning too. I knew nothing before the diagnosis, but um, Mm. (laughs) some, some force of energy told me to write it down. So I did write our story down because I just knew it was going to be valuable at some point, or I just needed to get it out of me. And that was seven years ago that I started writing. But my husband and I have been together for almost 13 years. And neither one of us knew that he had bipolar at that time. That's where the whoops part comes in because (laughs) there were a lot of, um, you know, symptoms like you were saying, Christina, like, oh, I feel so bipolar today or look at that person, you know, gosh, and he's really acting bipolar. I actually, we didn't even have that term, my husband and I, or I would have been like, you are so bipolar. (laughs) It wasn't even on my radar to use that term. Sure. Um, it just started escalating as really, um, you know, rage, anger, inappropriate behavior that didn't match the circumstance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then it continued to grow. Like we would have an argument over something stupid and it would just blow up into a full volcanic episode that I don't know what just happened, but like an alien had just abducted my husband because that was not him at all. Wow. You know, one of the things that you had said was that people people were kind of offended or they took, uh, you know, maybe kind of took a look at it and was like, what does that mean? You know, and kind of got an attitude a little bit. And I was going to ask you, did people feel like you were exploiting the situation and, and, and I don't see it that way, Temple. I see it as I'm I'm educating everybody else who's in this situation or people that have friends and family that are in this situation how to maybe cope or how to engage or what to say, what not to say, um, signs yeah. to, to look at um, or look for if there's some s- suspect of, of, um, of that kind of thing going on. So- how, how did you respond to people, you know, and, and yeah, what did that look like? I mean, that's, that's a really good question because it's, it's, it has evolved. You know, I right. didn't start out being a, an advocate for bipolar. Um, I was, um, this chick who married this hot guy. That's what I did and had no idea that I was going to be going on this ride. Mm. Um, so well, I when it's I important say that we, that we said, this is your story too. And yeah, that's what I yeah, love about yeah. your book. It's not about just him. It's about you and him. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I wrote it from my perspective, because that's the whole point is to try to get, you know, just more awareness that people understand what they're getting into. Because bipolar disorder, it paints with a broad brushstroke. Is that fair to say? It sure does. Um, But bipolar one uh, kind of has a very clear defined box. That's the one 
where people are getting arrested and getting fights in bars and spending all the money out of their accounts. And, you know, that one's pretty easy to define. But there's several layers of diagnoses within bipolar. Oh, by a broad brush, what I was meaning is the fallout, the fallout to the family, the fallout to spouses, friends. There's no way to be in relationship with someone who suffers with bipolar disorder and not have this impact you. 100%. Yeah. And the impacts can be very serious. Yeah, very serious. Absolutely. There is to the health of the family. So you you got married, everything was fine, and you started noticing these little oddities, these erratic behaviors, these things that didn't add up. How did where did it go from there? Because I think first off, we have so much undiagnosed mental illness in this country. And we think people are this or that. And then we have a lot of misdiagnoses. So Mm -hmm. how did it I think getting a diagnosis is one of the hardest things sometimes. So how did you go from something's amiss here to a diagnosis? Yeah. Yeah. How did that evolve? Well, <laughs> well let me say that I'm no uh, perfect angel either. Oh, uh, come on. I have a lot we of thought you hot were. tempered. I know. Look at my face. I mean, don't I look like an angel? You I, do. You know, I, people do confuse that about me a lot, but believe it or not, uh, I have a lot of rebellion and hot attitude. Uh, I had a big Italian family, so I was loud, obnoxious, you know, bossy, all those beautiful things. That What's are the problem? Character. <laughs> I, don't I don't see a problem. I don't see a problem. See That's a problem. why I had to marry somebody with bipolar, <laughs> you know, at least he got it. Yeah. Um, so I didn't understand. I thought he was just another hothead like me. So but you being a, a you were a high passion individual, so behaviors I was a high passion individual. The, these behaviors didn't stand out immediately to you, is what I'm hearing you say, because you were used to that. Yeah, I thought like game on is what I thought. You okay. thought finally sex somebody. was going to be fire, is what I hear you saying. <laughs> fire, is that what you heard? fire, is that what you heard? Oh, yes, that's what I heard. He girl. is sexy. He is sexy. I tell you what. <laughs> He's a tall drink of dark blue eyed water for yeah, sure. And there you go. And all the so chemistry, what, all what's that. What's a little bipolar sure. if the sex is good? What's a little bipolar? Doesn't matter. <laughs> so but you I start- didn't understand that he, he didn't have a stop button where uh-huh. I do. I am a, a quote unquote neuronormative. So there is a place where I know I've gone below the belt in an argument, things that you just don't say. And he was flying over the belt. I mean, the belt dissolved. So he was saying mm. things that he couldn't take back. And then it would go on for like 24 hours. You know, it was just like, whoa, this is so far off the rails from where this argument started. And now how that, far into the so, relationship were you when it got that bad? Yeah. Were you already well, married we when it together. started? You're, okay. <laughs> no, but uh, we, we started living together right away, which was another. You really got to, uh, my book is on audio. You got to listen to the book because the story is like Netflix worthy. It's very interesting. It's not uh, a, a saint marrying somebody to save his life. It's a wild child, met a hot guy. And then, you know, we tried to figure it out, but he... Uh, it was about three years in, I would say, where it looked like 
this is so not anything how normal people argue. Hmm. And, so that's where it really uh, showed itself most is with arguments. Arguments, yeah. Because bipolarism, yeah. That, that may not always be where it shows up. You know, you can have the mania, you can have all the other things. But for you, that's where you knew something was wrong. Right. Um, and he had a hard time going to work. It wasn't just that he had a hard time communicating with me. He was just like traumatized by the world. He would go mm. to work and then he couldn't handle any confrontation at work. He felt like he was being attacked by the other people. Um, so he was very hypersensitive to what everybody else was saying or doing. He couldn't, you know, he was very defensive. The emotions started going up and down and up and down. And I felt like, whoa, I was doing a lot of um, juggling, you know, just like rescue nurturing is what I felt like it was. And how old yeah, was he know, at this time? Um, 30. Wow, that's kind of yeah. late for a diagnosis, no? Well, well, he had earlier diagnosis of uh, ADHD when he was a kid. Hmm. And yeah. they just didn't, he wasn't um, properly supported at school or with his family to where they were yeah. educated enough. His family was very um, religious in the way that they didn't want to talk about illness or, you know, they, they kind of kept him <laughs> very isolated. I have, I have I found know. though, it, and I don't know if this is, you know, your experience, but um, I have heard that typically people kind of come into that, I don't want to call it a break, a mental break, because that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. That's okay. Um, no, I do use that term. Or okay. a psychotic break, which is even yeah, scarier. So mental break is Right. Fine. Mental break. Um, I hear that it's typically around like the 30s. That's typically when it kind of shifts for people and they See, kind I've of heard go much into younger for bipolarism mm. that oftentimes there's a diagnosis in those late teen years and that there seems to be something with yeah. adolescence and hormones that may trigger its development or it's yeah. coming out. I mean, personally known several that, you know, 17, 18 to 20, but we're both mm. speaking as the, an in, and yeah, we're not unlicensed professionals that we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what yeah. is, when is this normally picked up on is are different types picked up at different or does it, yeah. is it just all over the like? place? Well, you know, things have changed a lot just in the last three to four years has been a significant raise of awareness. So I, I think that it wasn't that there's a certain time. It's that there's a certain awareness now that wasn't there before, because obviously mm. my husband had a lot of symptoms that went, were bypassed and they, and he was put in the category of, mm. uh, you know, a bad child, bad behavior, um, you know, couldn't pay attention. And he got in trouble a lot. <laughs> so there were a lot of things that now looking back, a clinical mind could say that kid needed medical attention, not wow. more punishment, not more, well, you know. Well, do you also think, I mean, because you're in this midlife space, do you think that there just wasn't enough education on on this area? Because I feel like, in the last even 10 years, there has been a huge shift 
um, where people are talking about it. I mean, it's still not, you know, the top of conversation, but I just feel like they have maybe a, a more clarity. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah. What, what 100%, are your... But you know what? Social media has helped tremendously mm. because now there's a group for everything, you know? Right. Uh, right. But seven years ago when we had our diagnosis, my husband did have to have a psychotic break for him to get treatment. It's wow. not like I didn't try to get him to the doctor. I did. They um, they medicated him for PTSD and then sent him home. And there was no follow up. There was there there wasn't even a mental health diagnosis, a, a, you know, a, an official um, treatment form done. Wow. Just whoever was at the clinic, there was a counselor on call, you know, and said, hey, what medication were you on when you were seven? And he's like, well, they gave me lithium. And he's like, okay, here's lithium. And it just completely knocked him out. He couldn't function. And he said, right. I don't want to take this. And I said, well, we need to go back and get another mental health assessment, a full mental health assessment. And he was like, no, I don't trust those people, which is a symptom of bipolar. <laughs> right. I was going to uh, say that's usually yeah. one of those sim symptoms. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong too. with me you. This is not a black and white area of being mentally healthy or mentally well. Um, you know, I think it's all varying shades and varying degrees and we all have some struggles, but just like we're in various degrees of physical wellness, but we've not really, we, we've just classified people as sane or crazy. That's, that's the way our mental health system has worked up until recent times. And right. so, you know, we tend not, it, it, if I understand your your story correctly, tied into what I've seen, um, th there's so much misdiagnosis and people don't get a true diagnosis until it really runs off the rails and they have this, what you're calling a psychotic break. Now, I'm, I'm sure you're around a lot of other people in this space. Is that what you've seen, that it takes something really significant it appears, some I want in your opinion, that it takes something really significant for people to truly get the help they need. Yeah, no, you're right. The The perspective that I have is coming from a place of being in um, support groups with other family members, spouses mostly, for years. And, and of course, people that are in support groups, they have extreme stories. So that's my perspective, because there's a lot of people that are not in support groups, not telling the stories that are like, my husband just doesn't get out of bed, but, you know, they're not really engaging, trying to find out what's happening. So mm. I hear a lot of the extremities of this diagnosis. And yeah, it is very common for someone to go to the extreme behaviors before they get treatment or help. And wow. th that's why I'm here. That's why I'm talking to you ladies and talking to everybody is so that we can catch it earlier when you start seeing those unusual symptoms and start having a conversation with your partner or your, your loved one before they have a psychotic break, because there are very serious repercussions to having a psychotic break. Can, and I'll, can people, I'll tell you about that. can people, well, I, I want to ask this because I've, I've seen a, a few people in my life that have had psychotic breaks. One of them, mm. one of my dearest friends who I absolutely adore. And she had hers, uh, uh, I think we were 
we weren't even 20 yet and she had hers and she bounced back. Um, and then I have another friend whose husband has had a psychotic break and he was older and he has not bounced back. So mm. what is, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, yeah, look, what do you yeah, mean when you talk about a psychotic break and when it right. comes to this head? Yeah. Well, a psychotic break is when you've lost all um, connection to reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a, there's a symptom of psychosis that is very prevalent in bipolar one. Bipolar one is mania. Okay. Mania is the prevalent. It's the, it's the um, symptom that defines bipolar is mania. If you don't have mania, you probably don't have bipolar. It might be ADHD, it might be OCD, it might be PTSD, but without mania, it might be something else. And go ahead okay? and give and us mania. the correct definition or the correct visual of what mania really is. Because I think well, we throw that word that, around a lot, like a manic. Oh, he was so manic. What what does that really look like? Well, it's a state when you have um, a mood swing that goes up. It's a it's a influx of dopamine in the brain. It's kind of like somebody's done a whole bunch of coke mm. <laughs> for days and days and days. And I've done that. The brain. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> on more more occasions that's another show that's another show there we go i mean here we go yes we all know what it looks like to be on the rails right yeah yeah let's be clear today today i am celebrating because we're recording early you guys so today is my sobriety birthday i have 14 years of uh, being sober so just so so we all know congratulations We can, all, we can all celebrate that I'm not riding the rails anymore. Okay. Well, <laughs> so, happy sober birthday. Thank you. Mania is when you go off the rails, literally, and um, there's manic spending. Okay, reckless spending, uh, sleeplessness. I mean, it looks a lot like drug use. That's why it gets misdiagnosed. Um, grandiosity, where they believe that they you know, are in charge of the world, Mm. um, religious grandiosity where they believe, you know, it's been a God message that they are to do what it, whatever it is they're doing in the moment, uh, or that they are God themselves, that they are Jesus Mm. incarnate. You know, that's, that's a very common, I mean, I laugh because I have to, because bipolar is fun for me at this point, but it's not funny at the time. Certainly. Sure. Um, So uh, I, what it. are the other components of bipolar one? You've got the mania, but of course there's got to be a come down, right? Yeah, there's a come down. Yeah. Well, oh, and also paranoia is a big yeah. part of that paranoia. And uh, so then the psychosis part is kind of like the peak moment, like mania in the beginning can be really fun for everybody. I usually write a long list of honeydews. When I start seeing my husband go into mania, I'm like, all right, we're cleaning the garage. We are doing weeds. And I start making a list. <laughs> so <laughs> this, he's ready to go. Uh, so but the heightened like energy. Flowing. Yeah. The yeah. heightened energy can be turned into something positive. Is that what you're saying? 
Absolutely. Yeah. I try to capture oh, wow. that, you know, like he's just done an ounce of blow. Let's go, you know, <laughs> let's get it done. <laughs> but it's all natural. I mean, you know, God bless his heart. He doesn't have to pay a dime for it. They. Um, yeah. So a- as he's going up, that can be a positive place. And that is really kind of a dangerous place because it feels great. Mm. People with bipolar really like that part. So is that when they tend difficult. to go off their medications and such? Yeah. Mm. Like, I'm I was, fine. Yeah. yeah, I'm fine. I don't need those. My my husband's favorite thing to say when he's um approaching mania is I'm tired of your program. Your temple, your program. Oh. <laughs> As, yeah, it's your program that I'm mentally ill. It's your program that I have to take meds and I'm tired of your program. So I don't need so, any of so that. So what do you do? What do you do? Because I, I've heard this too. And and so I, I really wonder, what do you do in that in that moment when he's like, this is your program. I don't want to take medication. Like what? I, I wouldn't even know what to do. Do you sneak it into his? <laughs> I mean, real, like, I don't know. Well, I would just... Um, I refuse to answer on the count of oh. legal reasons, but I, I mean. <laughs> okay. There's one thing that we're not answering today. Okay. Good. All right. You found it. I got it. I got it. Okay. <laughs> All right. What I can say is that I, this has been a work in progress because I had no idea what to do when yeah. he said I wouldn't take my meds. I was like, you're, no, you're taking them, you know? Because that's I'm, one of the most common problems with this illness right. from what I've right. heard is you feel better, so you stop taking the meds, which the meds make you feel better. So the meds make you feel better, so you stop taking them. I mean, it's just a crazy cycle. No, isn't and, that so bipolar? I mean, it's sad. The bipolar makes them bipolar. I get yeah, it's it. A, it's circular. It, and Yeah. So mm-hmm. tell us about Difficult. when he had his break. If if you're okay. willing, we don't want to sure. inflict pain here, but we need people to understand because I, I I have another family really close to me that their child went through this and they were so caught off guard. We all were. We knew this this individual, this young person, and never saw it coming. Never saw it coming. So tell us mm. your experience with mm. that. Well, um, like I said, there was these, you know, episodic exchanges that were alarming. And I started Googling just symptoms that look like this. And I was just started typing it into Dr. Google and see what I could find. And that's how I even found the word bipolar, because it's not like we're we have no community. We had a whole church community. We have big families. We have a ton of friends. We have networks. Nobody said the word bipolar to me at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm the one that found the word bipolar and it listed all those symptoms of mania. And I said, wow, that's it. Like, that's it. It really so resonated started, with you immediately. It, oh yeah. Like a, like a bat to the head. It was like clank. This is it. But that so also must've been a very scary moment. It was scary, but it gave me some clarity, you know? It, it helped me to see that he was in trouble, that he wasn't just an asshole. Mm. You know, it differentiated for me that this guy needs help. And it, it helped me to like zero in that this is something that he needs help for. And I was able to really focus on that going forward. 
So I started approaching him with going back to the doctor, like, let's no, it's time. You have to do it. You have to do it. And he's like, no, 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 no. That conversation just really wasn't going anywhere. And it kept escalating him and his mood kept escalating. He was more aggressive, more aggressive, more random, more paranoid. And he couldn't work anymore. He, he wouldn't go to work. I, I was taking care of us. So like it, everything was obvious that he needed help at that point. Um, so I did see him start to really kind of like turn into a different person where psychosis was mm. a regular thing where he was thinking, you're trying to get me. You're you're trying to harm me is what he thought. And it wasn't until we drove back. It was on his way to his dad's wedding, which is very <laughs> it kind of matches up because his dad has all the same symptoms as bipolar, but he never got diagnosed, never got treated. Oh, he treated wow. with alcohol. His brother and his sister had the same symptoms. I started putting all the pieces together, mm. you know, as time went on, um, but they never talked so, about it. Nobody ever got treatment. So hereditary thing is what we're, what we're sure. saying, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. They all medicated with marijuana and alcohol. So it was really not prevalent. And then it could look like, oh, well, you're, you're a jerk because you drink too much or, you know, you're lazy because you smoke too much, but really they were medicating, self-medicating. Right. On the way to his dad's wedding, he needed to change into his tux. We were uh, in the car for a while and we were running late and he wouldn't put his suit on. I said, I'm going to pull over. You need to put your suit on. You're in the wedding party. We're going to have to walk right up. There's no time for you to go change. You need to go right up to the wedding party. And he lost his shit wow and said wow. no i'm not so putting on my tux and he lost his whole mind in the car uh like to a scary point where i was like i'm gonna have to leave him on the side of the road he's losing it so bad over this topic wow. and i couldn't so i'm like well i just shut up i'm like fine let's go and we still had to pick up his brother. I tried, his brother tried to calm him down. They started going at it. Uh, his dad is a huge trigger for him and his brother. The so going Sounds to his like wedding. It. Yeah, this was a trigger and I didn't realize it. So by the time we got him to the wedding, of course, everything, he was late. He didn't have his tux on. He missed the wedding. He didn't get up there. And I was furious wow. at, at that point. I felt like, this is a disaster and I'm never talking to this guy again. It's over. And wow. I stayed away from him. Um, and then at the end of the wedding, when he got in the car, him and his brother, uh, he started right back up, just attacking me verbally, 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 just trashing. And, and I'm like, Matt, you need to calm your brother down. Anyway, I felt a calmness come over me. Talk about like, divine yeah god rang right. in my ears be quiet mm. and i did i i just sat there in silence and it was an hour drive back to where we needed to go and i didn't say a word and once i got to his brother's house i said listen i think you need to stay at your brother's house for a couple of days and cool down we'll talk about this on monday and he said oh yeah i'm staying here and i'm never coming back and With that was no it. explanation of what wow. set him off, right? Well, but right. but you had an you had an inkling of knowing that it was the dad. I mean, this was a big 
that was his trigger was his dad. Um, I mean, now looking back. Oh, looking back. Know. Okay. I, I didn't know yeah. if there were maybe some signs before. Um, the interesting thing about my husband is that he absolutely adores his family. He adores mm-hmm. everybody. He'll never say a bad word about any person. He would never say anything negative about his dad or his mom or his siblings. So, you know, but when isn't bipolar it, is present. But isn't that the way different. it goes? A lot of times the anger and the frustration is misplaced mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. from what the cause of the yeah. anger is or the cause of the frustration or the cause of the pain. It, that's part of the illness is that it's inappropriately placed. Right, exactly. Yeah. Hey, Christine, it's Gail. I've got a question I've got to ask you. All right, what's up? How's your mojo? Oh, my mojo's not that great lately. You know, this menopause thing can really cause a hit on our mojo, don't you think? Yes, totally. Between hot flushes, the wrinkles, the hair loss. If there were only some products that were especially meant for us as menopause women, that'd be amazing, don't you think? Yes, it would be awesome. Well, guess what? I just heard about some new products. I received them from Mojo Wellbeing, and they are amazing. They have serums for that wrinkly skin. They have a hot flash cooling spray, and they even have a brand new hair growth serum. Because I didn't even know that hair loss was a part of menopause. Oh my gosh. And so I'm super excited to hear that there's companies doing something about this and that they're hearing our needs. You know, we talk about that a lot here on Midlife Moxie. So guys, go over to mojowellbeing.com. That's mojo, M-O-J-O, wellbeing.com. And use the code MOXIE15 to save on any of these great products designed especially for menopause age women. How does your husband feel about this whole experience with writing the book and uh, and you guys going through this journey together? Because, you know, you guys are together. Obviously, he came home from that fight. Yeah, let's go back to there he did. first. Yeah. Six yeah. months later. Six, six months. He wouldn't come okay. home. Wow. He would not come so home. So were you guys happened? in conversations? Yeah. Were, were you able to have conversations during those six months that he was away? What, like, was there treatment therapy? Were there, I mean, like, obviously you had something come over you where you had a sense of calmness. And you were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this. And you were still invested. So what, what happened? Well, can we, can we sit on that for a minute? Because I think I'm, I'm hearing you say that was a change that day. You were no Mm -hmm. longer Mm -hmm. angry and combative back. Something happened with you that you knew this is not normal. Is that right? Right. Am I understanding you correctly Absolutely. that this was, yeah, this marked a day for you as well? It did. It flipped a switch in me where I stopped trying to fight what was coming at me and just ah. like really came into my own. Like, this has to be approached differently. This is not a normal married people mm. 
fight situation. This is something else that I can't define yet. And when he said, I'm never coming home, I'm like, what? What are you even talking about? And he wouldn't come home. And here's something else people need to know, that mania can last for months. So Temple, he went to his brothers for six months. What happened during that period for him? And what happened during that period for you? Well, we were doing marketing. So he had taught himself how to build websites and how to do SEO. (laughs) Here's another secret. People with bipolar are highly intelligent and they can learn anything they want to in rapid speed because their brain goes really fast. So he taught himself how to do marketing and how to rank people on the first page of Google. So he had clients and I was the project manager. And when he had this episode, um, we had clients and I had, I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want him, his reputation to get ruined. So I kept the business going. I was building websites at midnight, which I didn't know what I was doing, but I had to figure it out. And um, he was going off the rails, Christina. This is like the worst Coke bender you can imagine. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Tell me your worst story and and let's let's add some. Yeah. He probably tops it. Yeah. He probably Uh, tops it. But, you know. Really what he did, because his personality is very uh, shy and conservative. That's his mm. natural character. He doesn't like to be promiscuous. He's He doesn't like women flirting with him, touching him. He likes monogamy. He likes all of that. He likes safety. So bipolar is really a pain in the ass for him because bipolar took him to his brother's house. There were other people around partying, giving, you know, my husband, Chris, was providing money. He was still making money. So that attracts other people that want to come and use him. Mm-hmm. Um, he stopped eating, right? You know, he was barely eating all that dopamine. Like, you don't need to eat. So he right. was living off right. of coffee, cigarettes, and alcohol at that point. Oh, just more yeah. stimulants. More stimulants well, and-, and depressants, so... Mm-hmm. There seems Both to be trying to counter, some, uh, counteract. Yeah, there seems to be some relationships between alcohol and drug usage and mental illness. In that, you know, it's which come first, the chicken or the egg? Almost sometimes. Can you talk about that? What is the latest research on that? What are we finding out? Are alcohol and drug abuse triggers for mental illness? Are they just comorbidities? What's what's the deal there? Well, in my circle, it's usually self-medicating. It's not that alcohol or drugs make you bipolar. It's that bipolar was present and they start trying to mask because they can't, they don't want people to see that they're out of control. So they actually feel more in control by drinking alcohol or smoking pot. Especially weed is a big problem. Because it does bring them down enough to where they feel more functional. Like my husband could smoke weed and um, people would think there's nothing wrong at all. He doesn't look stoned. He doesn't act stoned. But it is a psychotic drug. So when you have a brain that is already prone to paranoia and psychosis, the last thing you want is to add a psychoactive drug to your brain. 
Wow. I was going to ask what, what are the medications? Like what does the medications look like for somebody? And clearly, you know, weed and, and alcohol is, is they're, they're not good for you. They're just. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, I live in Oregon. Okay. Everybody smokes weed. (laughs) I think I'm the only one that doesn't in the whole state. So, because it makes me paranoid (laughs) and it's too strong. I cannot smoke it. But yeah. pretty much the whole state smokes weed. So it's very well accepted. And I'm I'm not to say that there aren't people with bipolar that have learned how to have that balance where they can smoke, you know, because it does help curb um, acute anxiety, you know, when they're ramped up for a day or something and can modify themselves. There are people that can do that. But mm-hmm. somebody with a rapid cycling, manic, uh, constant flux of mania and psychosis. Long-term THC is very harmful. It's not good. It well, you really know, you're asking someone their, who, um, memory. It, it, whose very diagnosis means, you know, a lack of control and this cycling, and then you're going to ask them the, to control their use of, you know, alcohol or drugs. Exactly. I mean, like that, that just does not even make sense. So when we go right. back to that six-month period where he had his break, what were you going through at that time, and how did you guys yeah. come back? to being together again and getting some help for him. I was going through a lot of introspection. I really kind of like isolated myself because I told everybody what was going on, my family and friends, and they all were at a loss. Nobody knew what to do. And I reached out to his family and they didn't reach out to him or they're just like, Hey, get your shit together, man. You know? So I, just tried to stay within my own bubble and really focus on how can I keep connecting with him and keep him safe and keep the lines of communication open. So we talked through email. When I would talk to him on the phone, he would start ramping up and raging. And he's like, we're getting divorced. I don't know why you're calling me. You know, this marriage is over. Leave me alone. But if Mm -hmm. I emailed him, I could say, you know, what's up with that client? How are things going? And he's like, oh, okay, you just need to add this to their Mm -hmm. website. He was all professional. So as soon as I got emotional, he would shut me down. Wow. Yeah. So that's hard. That's really hard. I'm just thinking how incredible you are. You know? And the love that you had for this person that you were able to go through this and continue and not just say, fine, I'm done and go file. So how did this come to a head or to a resolution of sorts? Well, I really, you know, I mean, six months is a long time, right? So there were, sure. I did think it was or it was over on some level, or at least I was like, okay, well, I guess we're separated to prepare for divorce. So again, I'm mm-hmm. not claiming that I'm a saint. <laughs> I did what I had to do to comfort myself, you know, and, uh, I didn't, but here's the thing. I did the opposite. I used to be a big party girl. I used to love good to go out with my girlfriends and drink and party and have a good time. But for some reason, this situation turned it all backwards where I felt sobriety was the best thing for me that I needed to stay Mm. aware and alert and be ready. That's all I kept hearing in my head was God just kept saying, Mm. be ready be ready. 
So, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a very strong spiritual practice. So that's what kept me engaged. Yeah. Well, and, and I hear like, I can hear how in writing those emails, God was preparing you already for a book because you just said, I had to write long emails. You had to get very clear on your languaging. And I, I don't know if you see that, but I'm, I'm an outsider mm, looking no, in gosh, and thinking. Really insight. Yeah. Like, wow, he was already preparing your path. And that's why he was asking you to be clear and focused and stay alert. So kudos to you, girl, for for doing that, because a lot of people would probably just feel despair and not know the direction that they need to go. And sometimes those um, directions that are, you know, uncertain, we take the path, the path of least resistance, which could be harmful for us. And so I just commend you on that. Way to go. Wow. So. I mean, that gave me chills when you said that, Christina, because I didn't really put that together, that I was being prepared yeah. all along the way to, because I do have a very like recorder mind, you know, if I listen to something, mm -hmm. it's in and I have our whole story in, in our head, you know, plus those emails and mm. things like that. But um, it was preparing me to get ready to be an advocate. I know that. Yeah. So let's yeah. cut so, to the part where he had a psychotic break, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, I went to church and uh, it was like a Wednesday service. I would go, you know, on a Wednesday night and there would just be a few of us there and everybody would tell their dad's stories and we would pray for each other, right? So uh, I was really sick that day. I had the flu. I was so sick. And I went to the store to get NyQuil and getting ready to dose myself up and be done. And I heard, go to church. It's Wednesday, go to church. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to church. I'm going to bed. And I somehow got lost mm -hmm. on my own way home and turned around and I was headed towards the church. And I said, okay, well, I wow. guess this is what we're doing. So I went into service, was a snotty mess, and my pastors were there. And I said, look, this is it. This is it. I'm done. This is the last day. Don't pray my husband back. Don't pray me out of this. Stop. I'm here just to tell you to stop praying for me because I'm done. And mm. the I have two pastors. They're married. And um, the wife, Pastor Deborah, said, Temple, you don't know what can happen to his brain. He could be wiped clean of this. And she swiped her hand across her head. And I got chills down my back when she did that. And I'm like, what are you saying? And then I went to her husband and I'm like, well, Pastor Curtis, like, you know that this is too much for me, right? I'm done. Please stop praying for me. I'm telling you, this is the last time I'm coming here and asking for this prayer. And I was waiting <laughs> for him to say, Temple, you know, we back you. We understand, you know, but he didn't. He said, Temple, you ain't done till God's done with you. Hmm. And then mm -hmm. I just bawled my eyes out. And I sat there and cried and cried and cried. And everybody prayed for me mm -hmm. even when I told them not to. And then in that moment, right in that moment, my phone buzzed. And it was a text from my husband that said, I, I'm sorry. I've been really immature. Can I please come home? <laughs> mm. Like wow. I talked to him yesterday or something. 
you know, like he just left yesterday. Like, come on now. Like he just had a little tiff. Right. Wow. <laughs> right. So what did you say? And I said, I said, I'll be right there. And I drove oh, two wow. hours to Salem so, and I went and picked him up. What was that like? Yeah. Um, he was he was in a full psychotic break at that point. So he had no um realization of what was going on. He was uh he thought that people were following him. He was so paranoid. He thought that there were cameras around him, on him. He was terrified. Terrified. That's gonna make me cry. But we he got in the car and he was just shaking like leaf. And mm. looking all around, and he's like, "Are you sure nobody else is coming? Are you sure nobody's in the car? Are you sure nobody's following us?" And I said, "No, we're okay." And I took him home, and he said that I laid with him. I, he wouldn't go to the hospital. I said, "Let's go to the hospital." No, 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 no. And we went home, and I put him in bed, and he was freezing. I tried to get him to eat, and I just laid with him and held him overnight while he said, are you sure nobody's coming in? Are all the doors locked? Over and over and over and over, over and over. And then eventually I was able to get him to the hospital. Wow. So, you know, I, I just have to, wait, hold on, Gail. Let me just say this, Temple. I just have to say, like, that just totally touched my heart. Like, that's how much you loved your husband. That you would be willing to limp into eternity with him. That's like so powerful. Not many people would be willing to do that, my friend. So, well, in this, yeah. you just extended such grace when the call was made, just like the prodigal son, the minute the call was made, you responded, you didn't say, right. well, but, and only if you just responded right. in grace and love with no idea where this was going to go. So that's my next question. I think when when we get to the point where we realize there's a problem, the question becomes what to do. Do you call your medical doctor? Do you call a psychologist, a psychiatrist? Mm -hmm. Do you go mm -hmm. to a mental health facility? What what do you do? Because there seems to be this huge gap, almost like a moat, between the help people need and where they are. So how did you know what to do and what did you do? Well, what I did was I called a girlfriend who had a degree in um, mental health and she came mm. over and was able to talk him into going to the hospital by telling him that he was dehydrated and we just wanted to have him checked out. Um, he was very skinny. He had lost. He didn't eat for over a week. His brother told me no food. Mm. He was living well, off and of that can make and you oh, your yeah. mind go too. Absolutely. So he was, he was definitely sick. And um, so did you take him to a medical hospital, hospital or a mental health facility? Yeah. No, I just took him to the ER, local ER. Uh, and they gave him, uh, they, they didn't give him an antipsychotic. They can't give antipsychotics in the hospital. So they gave him an anti-anxiety. Okay. And it brought him down. The tragic part, and this mm. is something, this is why I'm an advocate now, because there's so many pieces that I had to go through that nobody should have gone through 
because it perpetuated the problem until my husband lost cognitive function and short-term memory at this point permanently from so many rapid cycling, psychosis, and psychotic breaks and not getting proper help, not getting proper support from the mental health care system. We were in the hospital for 13, 14 hours waiting for, um, you know, the human services department to come and force him into treatment because even then he said, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, dude, you are not nowhere near fine. And everybody knows it. And right? so you and had to do like off. a Baker acted situation. Well, I had to take him back home. They wouldn't take him. Oh, they did not admit him. Wow. <clears throat> no, nope, wow. they wouldn't admit him because by the time the DHS worker came, he had been on anti-anxiety meds long enough for oh, him which, to calm down. Calm down. Just, uh-huh. So he wasn't presenting with the symptoms Any anymore. signs. And he said, don't worry. I'm going to go home. I love my wife. We're going to go home. We're going to call a counselor. And we're going to work this all out. And the doctor had already signed off for him to be admitted to inpatient care. Uh, But the DHS worker would not sign off because he wasn't currently exhibiting the symptoms to, I guess, bypass him because he has the right to be crazy. Here's the thing people need to know. You have the right to be insane. Wow. And that will overshadow anybody else's view. So you have to be able to get them in front of somebody while they are presenting symptoms of harming themselves or harming others. And that's harder than it sounds. That is nuts. That's harder than it sounds. Oh, so nuts. It's almost impossible. Well, yeah, because when they're in that state, it's like trying to get them in the car or trying to have them do something. It's like, no. And by the time somebody gets there to assess the situation, they've already had to come that person down in order for them to stay okay in the hospital. That seems like an oxymoron all the way around, right? It's so like, twisted, Am I the Christina. only one that's like... No. I mean, I get It'll that make this the family has, crazy. I get that this has... It can't be a decision that's taken lightly. We don't want people admitted just out of revenge or because someone's having a marital fight. But right. There's got to be... Right. And it, it's... It seems like our only options are full on lock them down, tie them up in a straitjacket, or you send them home. I mean, how can there not be a middle ground right. to this? A halfway situation, right. a you know, a, we're going to put you on a twelve-hour hold, or you know, it seems that the the choices are so extreme, and that I think is part of what drives some people from even seeking help. Because I will just share mm-hmm. that I went through a season some very serious anxiety. And this is not to take from your story. I just to help people understand how quickly you can get to this point. We had been, um, it, it was kind of a PTSD situation involving a tornado traveling, mm-hmm. long story, but basically my jar of handle, it ran out and I became so anxious. I was losing weight. I was having trouble controlling my thoughts of just fear and it, the anxiety and when I went to see a therapist, I remember walking in the door and I was afraid that they would keep me, that they would say I had lost my mind. And if you've never been through anything like that, where your mind is not working the way it should, I know listeners, you cannot understand what we are telling you. Those of you who know me know I'm a very sane, rational, intelligent person. 
but our body and our mind both can become ill and both become traumatized and have things happen. And that trauma just caused my chemicals and everything to be so out of sorts. But I remember that was one of my biggest fears. I said, I'm afraid you're going to tell me I'm crazy and that you're going to keep me. And she's like, um, no, you're mm. not crazy. But all this is going on. And so it can, the whole thing of just even seeking therapy or any kind of treatment can be very, very frightening because mm-hmm. you think you're going to wind up in a straitjacket. It, it, you know, the treatment sure. for mental illness never sounds pleasant. It never sounds like anything good. Um, and when she explained to me that, you know, I wasn't crazy and how she was going to help me, then getting treatment did feel good and sound good. But I think that's part of the missing piece. We think it's one flew over the cuckoo's nest or it's nothing. Yes. And we've got to change that and we've got to make it not scary. We've got to make it accessible. We've got to make it affordable. We've got to make it reasonable. We've got to make it um, palatable. We've got to make it all these things because there you are sitting with someone who definitely needed to be inpatient and have all the, you know, most intensive treatments and you're getting turned away. And I think sometimes there's people that probably could have been handled in an outpatient setting that get inpatient because they catch them at the right moment. I mean, it's just, it's a messed up yes. triage for this. It is. We don't triage it like we do medical illnesses. So no, just for the sake of time, we're going to roll forward. You go home, then what? Well, they, they sent me with five lorazepams <laughs> and said, oh, uh, you know, get him to the doctor, which was no possible way I was going to get him to a psychiatrist within five days. Um, and, you know, the time the clock was ticking, he was as soon as that last lorazepam was gone, uh, they said, we'll just bring him back to the hospital. I said, sure. Okay. So no, we're going to just treat that symptom. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I want to yeah, stop yeah. They, here because they, I want our listeners to understand. There are many different levels of mental care. There are counselors, there are therapists, there are psychologists, there are psychiatrists. These people all do similar sometimes, but very different things. And it takes a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist has a medical degree and psychiatrists can prescribe medication. So for those of you, I just want right. to clarify this because if you don't have any experience, you're not going to understand all this. A therapist, a counselor cannot prescribe you medications. And if you mm-hmm. need psychoactives, right. you've got to be seen by a psychiatrist pretty much. I mean, medical MDs can prescribe some, but they're going to be hesitant. So the ones that are most needed, here's the other thing. Y'all, the average age for a psychiatrist in the United States is over 60 years old right now. We have a massive problem with access to care because aging of psychiatrists. Yeah. We don't have enough new people becoming psychiatrists. It's a long track to get there. And we also, at the same time, though, the good news is we have more and more drugs that can do good. But if you don't have the people to prescribe them, they're not getting in the hands of the patients who truly need them. And they're not getting the kind of care that they truly need to make this be effective. So I just wanted to kind of, and I only know this because of a son wanting to go into that field. And I have a lot of friends that are in this field and it's, it's really a societal problem. So just come to slide that in there. So when you said waiting to see a psychiatrist, that could be six months. 
Mm, right. Long no, time. you are spot on about that because the imbalance, not only of getting to a psychiatrist, but then being able to like, they need to be uh, monitored every week. Okay. But your appointments are once every six months. So he spent years rapid cycling years because so there was people, only this two would psychiatrists be like, in our town. This would be guys like you need to be in ICU and they're sending you to Teladoc. That's about the vast exactly. difference uh, in the care you're I, getting. My gosh. I mean, you're mm. nailing it. That is exactly it. That That's why I, when you say we need more, that is the understatement of the year. We need more psychiatrists and people in that field. It, it's like, a, you know, we have a fraction of what is needed. And then the people that do and, work. And the need's in, getting bigger. And the need's getting bigger, yes. And they quit. So I, I mean, just want to clarify it's that for much. people. Because people just think, oh, if you have a problem, you just make an appointment. Also, a lot of times your insurance um, has a different deductible and a different benefit system for mental health. And we saw this right. even with our son who was on ADHD medication. And he had a great doctor who insisted on seeing him very regularly. But we had to pay $100 every time he went in. Because that didn't qualify for your $25 copay. That had to go over the, under the deductible program. So even when there's access to care and there's a provider available, finances can be a big deal and people getting the treatment they need. I mean, when you look at a psychiatrist, a lot of those are out of network. They're not playing with the insurance companies. And they can be, did you run into that? A lot of them are private pay. Oh, absolutely. That's why I encourage anybody that is a nurse to switch your degree to psychiatric nursing mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they can prescribe medication. They are just as, you know, apt in, and educated. And we're talking but, about a psychiatric nurse practitioner, guys, not just a LPN right, or something. Exactly. Yes. Yes. You know, so yes, that, that was suggested that to my son practitioner for a while as a track that if he didn't want to go the whole doctor track to, to look into that. So you're still trying to get your husband in. When do things start to have any improvement or any kind of, I don't even know if that's the right word, Temple, when do they start to have any kind of a, a light at the end of normalcy, the tunnel, some sort of light? I mean, here's the, uh, the sad part. I wish there was a fairy tale ending that I could present here, but it, it, it really hasn't. It's still unstable. He's been um, compliant with his medications for seven years, but there were so many things that went wrong along the way that kept him rapid cycling, kept him in psychosis, that it did serious brain trauma, and mm. he needs full-time care at this point. He has a caregiver for two hours a day that comes in and helps um, make sure that he does his daily executive functions. He's lost his executive functions, remembering to brush his teeth. He cannot remember to take his meds every single day. We, somebody has to hand them to him. Um, bathing, you wow. know, those things have to be reminded to him. He still, he can research marketing all day long. That part of his brain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the guy can create still, a million dollars. You know, it's it's funny though, that executive yeah. function seems to be something that, um, is impacted even with people with serious ADD and other things. It's kind of seems yeah. like it's one of the first things to go. 
which yeah, is something we don't understand because it makes you seem crazier. Yeah, medications exactly. aren't the cure. So medications what are is, not a cure. What I wanted what to say about that is a lot like? of people get misdiagnosed. Uh, well, before mm-hmm. I go to that, I just want, there's something that needs to be said here, and it's called a gene site test. The, a gene site test is a way for people to um, have a, it's just a swab test for people to test on what the metabolism function would be for different medications. It it gives you a direction to go. It gives you a red, yellow, and green oh, on my medication. my son had this. That's what I said, yeah. man's pediatrician well, who put him on ADHD medication was brilliant and he asked for this first because he really wanted to find the right medication but it even told us like if he were to have surgery these are the best Mm -hmm. anesthetics that you would use um these are these are what's going to work best for him so it cuts out some of the trial and error which but again it wasn't covered by insurance we paid a ton of money out of pocket for that but we do have it permanently so i know exactly what you're talking about has now, this was probably 10 years ago. Have, has the price on that come down or coverage? Is it easier to get that yeah, now? Yeah, the price is pretty, yeah, the price is pretty reasonable. I think it's under $200 now if you go through genesite.com. Um, and most insurances do cover it now. Um, but my, my husband was on medications that were in the red for three years. It took three years mm. before a nurse practitioner brought up gene site <sighs> test. I had no idea that that even existed. So he had developed. I'd never heard of it either. Right. Mm. Wow. So I was like, well, who can wow. I sue? Because my husband got ruined. His body went into, you know, tremors and tardite dyskinesia is a full body twitching where your mouth won't stop moving. Your eyes roll for over a year he had to detox off of a certain psych med that he couldn't metabolize properly that he had been on. And I was shoving it in his mouth for a year, <laughs> you know? Oh, I mean, I felt And then that makes horrible. you feel bad, right? Oh, yes. Oh my God. Yes. There's not any information to know how to do this. Right. That's mm. the whole point of this, but um, yeah, mm. we have to have better education. And the, and the in-between, like Gail said, Learning how to get somebody to the hospital, it, 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 it is like one flew over the cuckoo's nest is the only thing in their mind that I'm going in and I'm never coming out. Well, just for the record, it is not like that at all. The mental health facilities are overrun. The last thing they want to do is keep you. You're lucky to get in. And, and yeah. you're lucky if they keep you more than 24 hours. Only if you're on suicide watch do you get to stay. So nobody's trying to lock people in a mental institution you know, for having some psychosis or anxiety or bipolar symptoms. That's not going to happen. You have to beg for it. Wow. I just want to clarify that. So just, yeah, just really sad. Quickly tell us. So what does your day look like? What does your day look like? Well, it took me a long time to get a caregiver, you know, um, just in the last year uh, we have a caregiver and he was resistant to that, you know. There's sure. a lot of shame. He's a grown man. He doesn't want somebody coming over and telling him to brush his teeth. So at least with me, it's not as embarrassing. But we found somebody that she really loves him and he respects her. So they have a system now. Uh, so in the mornings, I'm off. I do my own thing. 
I get to wake up and have my tea and, you know, have some temple time. I'm not good at mornings. He's awake at 6 a.m. ready to run marathons. And I am not. So his (laughs) caregiver, Tammy, she's up early too. She's an early bird. They're up at 6 a.m. And they got all the executive things done by the time uh, I'm up and ready to go and looking like I'm ready for the world. So then we spend our day making a plan, you know, what he's going to do, how many walks he's going to take. He likes to count his steps. He'll take 10,000 steps a day. So, uh, you know, I make sure he gets lunch. In between, I'm doing Zoom calls. I spend all day on my phone doing advocacy work. Um, crisis support through Instagram primarily is where everybody finds me. And I do coaching on how to call the crisis helpline, how to get to a psychiatrist, what to say to when you get to the hospital, things you could say to your spouse to help him uh, get there. You know, wow. um, I spent all day doing that in between. So I'm lucky to be at home because I'm still in college. I, I went to school because I wasn't getting enough information from the doctors on, on mental health. So I decided to educate myself and uh, I've been in school for the last three years for mental health education. So that's what I do. And then I cook dinner and then I put everybody to bed. And then after nine o'clock, it's time for me to party. And I have a good time (laughs) doing reels. (laughs) So, do you have any kind of normalcy in your marriage now, Temple, or are you just caretaking at this point? Um, it is primarily caretaking. Um, hmm. You know, that's why I can't say I don't have the fairy tale ending. I wish I would. But I, I here's the way I see it, Gail. The word frontline worker came out when COVID came out. I'd never heard that term before. And I see that that's Chris and I. Like we were on the front line of this illness and we had to take the majority of the hits. You know, we got very mm. wounded and we were on the front line of this battle and and we got hit real hard. So now we get to be responsible for the education and um, wow. the normalcy of that is that we still have a lot of exchanges like couples do, you know, like we fight because he... He he didn't wipe the coffee off the counter, you know. I get mad at him for that every day. And, you know, did you just, we have a lot of normalcy like that. But it is a different relationship and we've had to create our own way. Wow, I just, that was such a, (laughs) that was such a big thing. I just like paused when you said we were the front line we were on the front line and now we have this responsibility that you could have just stopped there. And I would have been like, okay, that's, that's it. Like mic drop, total mic drop for me because that's huge. And I've just got to say, really huge. I am just so impressed by you and just so, mm-hmm. and Christina and I have episodes like this every once in a while, like we will get off this and we're going to need a minute because, you know, I feel tears coming and I feel broken for you that your your life has been cut short by this illness that impacted your loved one, but mm. so much admiration and just being in awe of you giving your life and not leaving him. You could have put him somewhere. You could have bailed mm-hmm. on this and you didn't. 
And I, I think people have to understand this could be any of us. This could mm-hmm. overtake a loved one of ours at any time and us not see it creeping up like you didn't. And so I don't want our listeners to make the mistake of separating themselves from this thinking, well, that's not my situation or I'm never going to be in that situation. You might be. It could be your child. Right. It could be your child's spouse. It could be mm-hmm. anybody. And when these things happen, they impact everybody just like they would as if it were cancer or, you know, uh, any other disease. But because of that, we all need to pull together and be proactive on, you know, legislation, medication, you know, access to care, people having, you know, health coverage. Um, Because this does impact our entire society. So if you're if you're just thinking of it from a selfish perspective, don't, because this could come knocking on right. your door. And it does impact society in a lot of ways in that a lot of people with mental illness, drug and alcohol problems, that that does lead to a lot of crime in our society. And that does lead to a lot of problems in our society. So this is something we have to all look at together, even if you're not being directly impacted right now. This right. is a societal problem. and We've got to fix it. And in a society like we live in in the United States, where we have such good resources and we have these great institutions, I just believe we can do better. I really believe we can do better. But, you know, the doing better comes from people demanding for the better to be done. Right. And people like Temple telling your story of what was a, who, this man was a bright light and the medical system, the mental health system failed him. And yes, y'all, this 100%. is not an isolated story. A lot of people are being failed. Right. Go down to the mission, go to the homeless shelter, go to the jail. People are being failed right. in the area of mental illness. And it's not all drug and alcohol induced. It's not all choice. It's That's right. some of it is genetic and born and it's a lot. So Temple, we want to give you the last word on that. What is your mantra? What is your cry? What is your request for help. What do you want to say? Oh gosh. I Besides mean, I am about the book. to cry because of what you just said. <laughs> yeah, please buy the book. It, it'll be on Kindle by the time this airs. Um, I 100% want to encourage people to understand that it's a brain illness and mm. it presents as a mood disorder. Okay. And people call it a mood disorder but it is a neurological dysfunction that's happening in the brain and we can't blame them for that. The other part of it is that being able to have the type of support, it's very difficult to tell your parents or your siblings, hey, can you babysit my manic spouse? That's probably not going to happen, right? He's a grown man and he has the strength of a man. So it can look very scary and intimidating if he's manic and somebody's trying to tell him to calm down and he's like, fuck you, get away from me. He's not a violent person, but even just aggression is very uncomfortable. So I had to learn all the tools on how to, you know, deal with crisis, but everybody needs to learn how to deal with, with mental health crisis in your family. And it's not by confronting and telling them that they're an asshole and, you know, Get get out of here. 
that's why we have such a huge uh, population of homelessness with mental health. They're all over the streets of Portland. Yep. And anytime I think yep. I can't do this anymore, I swear to you, an angel makes me stop at a stoplight and somebody that's homeless walks through the walk talking to the air. And I yeah. say, that's my husband if, it, if I wasn't here. And so, but I need mm. help. This is hard. This is a heartbreaking job. And I still don't have enough support because it's uncomfortable. But if there were more respite clinics, like they have, San Diego has a respite clinic where people that, that are sick with um, psychosis or mania, they can go to this lounge and calm down. And there's a doctor and there's a security guard, but they don't have to be taken into the ER and locked down in the lockdown unit, you know, and scared to death that they're never coming out. There, there's no respite for the family when it comes mm. to adult mental illness. And that is a deal well, breaker people have fear. for me. Like you're not going to get someone to watch your husband like you could get someone to watch your child. People have fear. Right. And people don't understand. Right. And that's. That's a lot. That's a very heavy. It is. Um, if someone suspects that they are having symptoms or that someone they love is having symptoms, what do you recommend they do? I recommend that they call their local mental health crisis line. It, it might be a 211 number or they have to Google mental health crisis line for their county. And call them, especially if you already have a diagnosis, then you better get to know your local crisis line and make them get to know you. My, my crisis line knows Temple because <laughs> I call them mm. and I say, he's ramping up. He's on his way to mania, which means in a couple of days, it'll be psychosis. So you need to be on high watch for me. And they will open a case to check on me for five to seven days and they'll call. Wow. What's up? Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And during this... the pandemic, that wasn't, they couldn't come to the house, but they, they, before the pandemic, they could come to the house, check on him, just say, Hey, Chris, what's up, man. We wanted to see how you're doing. You know, I'm good. We're good. Everything's beautiful. <laughs> I love my wife. I love my home. Everything's great. And they're like, okay, we'll see you tomorrow. But they know as soon as they leave, um, his masking comes down. And there's a point where they have to escalate it to a supervisor that will be able to um, bypass and, and do inpatient care. But it takes a process. So you have to be ready. There has to be uh, documentation. There has to be people like, I've been reporting for five days. This is it. Somebody's got to do something. Okay, it's time. And, uh, and then somebody will step in. That's my, wow. that's my hope that people educate themselves on that. Temple, thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing your mm -hmm. story. Thank you for being an advocate. Thank you for staying with your husband. I mean, mm -hmm. those of us who are believers know that God is smiling, that your commitment, you know, and we think about in sickness and in health, this is, right. this is sickness, right? And it's not fun and it's forever. And well, we've laughed. I just we've want to say up, something to there before. You. I'm yeah, sorry, Gail. I just want to interrupt for a second because I I need to also clarify that 
this situation can present as very abusive, mentally, even mm-hmm. sometimes physically abusive. So I don't want anybody to feel like they have to stay in a situation that is mentally, emotionally, or physically dangerous for them. I actually do the opposite yeah. with my advocacy. I encourage people to tell on their husband right away, especially if it gets violent. And I've been able to stay with my husband because we don't have kids in the home. I know that I have a higher tolerance of things because I was raised around this type of behavior. But if I would have had kids in the home, I would not have stayed with my husband. I have to be completely honest. I would not have exposed my children to what I've been through. So it's a very personal choice. And I really encourage women, especially to not stay in an emotionally, verbally abusive cycle with their spouse just because they have a diagnosis. They can be held accountable. I appreciate that, mm. Temple, because I hear that you are not sitting in any judgment of anyone, no matter what their choice needs to be for their own health mm-hmm. and you know well-being. So, wow, such wow. a heavy topic today, but um, we're glad to know you, Temple. I'm glad to know you. I feel yeah. honored to know you. You're oh my amazing. Gosh, I'm so and honored to know you girls. You are the kind of <laughs> advocate that is needed because you're informed, you're passionate, but you're realistic. You're not sugarcoating anything. And I, I just, we can't wait to help you promote this book. And yeah, I think too, one of the best things of books like this coming out is people knowing they're not alone. I watched my yeah. friend buy, go through this with her child and we we didn't even know what to say to her. I mean, what do you even do? You you can't show up with a casserole that doesn't fix this. So the more it's <laughs> talked about and the more we look at this as an illness and the more we look at mental wellness from a very young age, which I'm of the opinion mm-hmm. everyone should be tested early and know what we're dealing with, but that's just my own soapbox. Um, Don't marry anyone a without a mental people. health assessment. That's my mantra. There you go. <laughs> we need a mental health assessment, a prenup, and a genetic testing, right? That's right. Yes. Temples. Exactly. We have to do thank things you. different. I thank you. And yes. thank you. We want so you to be part much. of our midlife community and we want to help you get this book in the hands of people who need to read it and in people who don't think they need to read it. So we're really looking mm-hmm. forward to its launch. Mm-hmm. Well, we've come to Absolutely. another hour plus Christina as we always go over. <laughs> oh. I know, I know. <laughs> and we just want, you know, we're gonna end with our with our same sign off, but we want you to know that Moxie looks a lot of different ways and Temple Girl, you've got it and you're using it for good. Mm-hmm. And so like we always say, Christina, go and get your Moxie on. Bye bye guys. Bye. Bye bye. I love it. Thank you.